I want to start off today with a little word association. So there's going to be a, a few words come up one at a time on the uh, on the, the jumbotron up there, the magic wall. And uh, and uh, as those come up, I want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind. You're allowed to talk in church. It's okay. Uh, just say it outright. Whatever comes to your mind, within reason, whatever comes to your mind, uh, go ahead and, and do that. So go ahead with the first one. Summer. Okay, good. All right. Next one, family. All right, some of you are playing along. Some of you are playing the silent game. Okay. Uh, vacation. Next one. Buckeyes. I.O. And the next one. Sorry, Tony. All right. I didn't hear you yell out. It was, all right. Next one, Sunday. Ice cream. That's the wrong Sunday. You got to look and see how they're, how they're spelled. Church. Christian. All right. Leave that one up there. Some of you didn't play along with that one. Uh, that's all right. Uh, some, maybe that's a little bit uh, ambiguous, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you didn't want to say, more than finding out what, what is in your mind when you hear the word Christian, I think it would be eye-opening to ask people who are far from God what they think when they hear the word Christian, right? Because that might be vastly different. Some of those perceptions, unfortunately, are reality, some of them, many of them, perhaps are not reality, but uh, most are the result of people not necessarily knowing Christians, followers of Christ personally, but simply uh, hearing about Christians or seeing things on the news or uh, just getting the, the peripheral. As we think about, and this is uh, week two in this, uh, this series of walking across the room to share uh, share Jesus, to share our faith with others. Uh, as we think about walking across the room and in, encountering people with the gospel, we, we need to uh, be conscious of those perceptions that might exist and, and even more, be conscious of the potential that we can have to change those perceptions as people get to know us. I mean, I want my neighbors and the people of this community to, uh, to think about you and me when they hear the word Christian, and in a positive way, right? I, I want them to, to, to think about, oh, Christian, well, that's, that's, those, that's my neighbor, that's, um, and that's that great guy that I know, that's that uh, great uh, family across the street, uh, the people that care for others, the people that are uh, accepting, uh, the people that are compassionate and kind and, and real and care about me. Those are, the, those are the perceptions that we want to have as we're encountering people with the gospel. And all that just might start, excuse me, with a walk across a room. Stepping out of what's comfortable to meet people where they are. Uh, it's, this series is based on a, a book by Bill Hybels that he wrote several years ago, a pastor of Willow Creek Church. And if you uh, haven't picked up that book, I'd encourage you to, to, to do that. I'm sure you can get it uh, uh, used or, or uh, on Kindle or whatever. And, and uh, I'd love for you to, to read through great, great stuff. Um, I hope, uh, as I challenged you at the end of last week, I hope that you've been praying, uh, as I've been praying this week, every day, that, uh, that, that God would use you to help point someone to him. 
this week. And, and I'd love to hear those stories. Uh, I have been uh, more, uh, more open to or, or more cognizant of, I guess, uh, those opportunities. And I've seen that uh, increase throughout this week just in focusing on that. I hope and I pray that that's the same for you. And, uh, and I'd love to hear how God is using you even to just, uh, maybe you're not presenting the gospel or, or talking about your faith per se, but you're building those relationships. And I'd, I'd love to, uh, to hear about that. Uh, today, I, I want us to look at a story from the book of Acts about one of the disciples that God used to bring someone to faith. Uh, he, he took a walk, actually more than just a walk across the room, a pretty long walk. He was willing and ready to be used, and God used him in a great way. And uh, the story's a little bit long, but, uh, and maybe you'll recognize it, but, but it's, uh, it's worth reading. It's in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south on the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth." The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotos and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So that's the story. A little context for you. If, if we had read the first part of, of Acts chapter 8, you would know that Philip had been seeing great days of ministry in, uh, in the city of Samaria. Uh, verses 4 through 8 in Acts chapter 8 uh, describe that the people were being drawn to the gospel because of Philip's, uh, uh, Philip's ministry there. Uh, he was casting out demons. People were being healed. Uh, verse 8 says there was great joy in that city. So because of what Philip was doing, what God was doing through Philip, there's great joy in the city of Samaria. So Philip is seeing God doing great things, it would make sense for him to stick around there for a while. Uh, Usually if we see ministry that is exploding and expanding and God is doing great things, that's not the time to drop that and take off. Uh, We we would uh, pour our resources into that and see that even more, but the Holy Spirit seemed to have other plans here. And so the Holy Spirit uh, uh, communicated to Philip in, in, in some way. We don't know whether it was an audible voice or, or he, he emailed him or, or texted him or Snapchatted him or whatever. Anyway, he, uh, he encountered the Holy Spirit and he had the, the, the specific instruction to go and walk on a road, a very specific road. And it was actually several days away. If you look at the map, if you were familiar with that area of the world and you're not, um, but uh, just take my word for it, that uh, it was, it it was going to be a several days journey. 
And so uh, Philip took off. Uh, God knew that, uh, that, that he would be uh, traveling down that road, and he'd been uh, working on this Ethiopian's heart, and uh, so he sent Philip. And so um, uh, Philip went, even though it didn't really make much sense. Uh, he, he didn't know about the, the Ethiopian in the chariot, chariot uh, that he would run. It, I don't know. It, in my mind, it kind of sounds like a convoluted math word problem, right? So if Philip leaves Samaria at such and such a time, and the Ethiopian leaves Jerusalem at such and such a time, and they travel on the road, uh, what is the time? When will they intersect each other while the eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter I mean, it's, this is, this is where God had that all figured out. And so he said, uh, Philip, go and do this. Philip didn't have any of that figured out. He just obeyed God's next step for him. Uh, he, he didn't have any other instruction other than go and walk. He didn't know the plan. He didn't know what would happen, but he went anyway. And he went because I'm convinced that he had settled a question years earlier in his life. Uh, that, that I think many people still struggle with because many times we come up to something and we feel ur- the urge to go do something that God is leading us to do, and we're not quite sure, but, but that's because we haven't settled the question that Philip had settled many years ago. See, see, Philip early on had already said yes to do whatever God said. So when he didn't have to wrestle with it, God says it, he's going to do it because he's already decided that's that's the stance of his life. God says, go, I'm going. God says, stop, I'm stopping. God says, speak up, I will. God says, shut up, I will. He'd already settled that question. A little, a little background on Philip. Maybe you, you know that Philip was one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus. Uh, for, we first come in contact with him in John chapter 1. Uh, he'd actually grown up with Andrew and Peter. So uh, two of the, the big names of the disciples, uh, uh, they grew up in, in the same little town together. And uh, it, Jesus uh, found Philip and he simply said, follow me. And Philip followed. And it was, it was a great thing. Philip followed Jesus through his entire ministry. He had, he had, uh, been, been on this amazing adventure with Jesus. He'd seen him, uh, do miracles. He'd heard his teachings. He had the, uh, the, no doubt the conversations around the fire and, and, uh, uh, conversations, uh, and questions answered and all those things. He, uh, he also, uh, had been reprimanded for his lack of faith at, at one point and, and, uh, he, he, um, continued to follow Jesus. He's also seen more than once bringing people to Jesus. And so he's got that compassionate heart for other people as well as uh, following Christ up close. Philip had been present on the day of Pentecost. So in Acts chapter 1, when, when, uh, when Jesus uh, says, hang out and, and stay in, uh, in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, and then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and wha-boom, everybody's got, uh, uh, got the, uh, the, the fire from heaven and the Holy Spirit, and they're, they're speaking in all these languages, and people are understanding the church is born, and, and thousands of people are coming. To, Philip's part of that. He's part of the, the, the mouthpiece of the gospel at that point. And then there's persecution that started, and, and they dispersed, and and, and Philip Philip finds himself, he's the first one to, to head to Samaria. So Jesus had said, uh, stay in Jerusalem, and, but you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Philip's the first guy to head to Samaria. Now, Samaria was not a place that most people chose to go to if you were Jewish because they were kind of at odds with each other and they had a lot of quarrels and fights and grumblings and, and even more than that, uh, they, they, they didn't 
associate with each other. But Philip went to Samaria, and as we saw, he's seeing great days of ministry. Uh, Philip's life was characterized over and over again from the time he met Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and he did. Uh, Philip's life is characterized by a big, fat yes to God. Whenever God says, go somewhere, he's going to go. And so now here in Samaria, in Acts chapter 8, in the middle of fruitful, exciting ministry, Philip isn't debating whether or not to say yes to God. He's simply saying, okay, I'm going to do what's next. I'm going to follow. His life had been characterized by following all the way along, and so when he heard that instruction, even if it sounded crazy, he followed. I don't know what God has planned for you to do. You probably don't know the whole big picture either, but one of the key messages of this part of Philip's life is that we need to be willing. Decide now that you will say yes to God whenever you hear his voice, whenever you sense his prompting, whenever you sense uh, him saying, go speak up for me over there. You need to walk across that room. You need to encounter that person. You need to do something for that neighbor. You need to respond in this way. You need to hold back and not be so overbearing in that relationship. When God says, gives you that prompting, you we need to decide before that happens that we're already on board with God and his plans. We have to settle the question today so that we don't, we're not wrestling with it in the moment when it comes. Because Philip here had a, had a certain window of opportunity, right? We, we already saw that. We've got the math problem, right? And we've got him coming here. And, and he, so he's in Samaria, north of Jerusalem. But, but uh, the Ethiopian is traveling on the desert road going from, from Jerusalem down toward Gaza. And so he's got to walk here and, and figure all that out. And, um, and there, there's a certain window of opportunity. God knew who was going to be where when and who was going to be reading what when and God knew where, where Philip was and how he could be there and so he said go and if Philip had decided to wait he would have missed the encounter. If, if Philip had said okay I'll do that once I'm finished here once things kind of die out here and we've cast out all the demons and we've, we've healed all the sick people once all this kind of fizzles out and it looks like uh, you know then, then I'll go ahead and move. No, he would have missed out completely on, uh, on sharing the gospel with this Ethiopian who then took that message back to his country. How often do we wait, even after a clear instruction from the Lord, because it doesn't make sense? I don't know if you've ever heard, go walk on a desert road. I don't think I have, but maybe some things like it, right? Ah, you know, God, I'm not sure that makes sense. Are you sure you know what you do? I don't know if, maybe I'm the only one that has these conversations with God. I'm not sure. I don't know if I really should bring that up in this conversation. They might kind of back up. I'm not sure. You know, those neighbors, they, I, I don't know. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to bring up that, that uh, my stance on this because that might, uh, I, I don't want to push my views on anybody. I don't want to, I want to, yeah, I know they need volunteers for this, but I'm not, and, and I'm busy with, we justify things to the extent that we either end up saying no outright or we say yes too late. We either say no to God or we say yes too late. And when we say yes too late, we miss God's best for our lives and for the people that, that God wants to impact 
through us. Scripture is, is full of people who answered the call of God not knowing where it would take them. They didn't ask questions. They just knew that God had big plans and they wanted to be on board with him. Uh, God called Abraham to, to, to move his, his family to an unknown land. In Genesis 3, uh, it says that Abram departed just as the Lord instructed. God found Noah and asked him to build a boat. And no matter how crazy it seemed, Genesis 6.22 says, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. The prophet Elijah listened to God and obeyed him. God directed his steps many different times. And scripture says that he, that Elijah responded just as God instructed. Samuel, a, a young boy in the temple said, uh, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Uh, David, before he became king, as he's on the hillside about to face a giant, says, the Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and the bear will save me from this Philistine. And he went out and encountered him. Isaiah responded as, as he encountered the presence of God in the temple, here am I, send me. Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she encountered the, uh, the, the, the angel who told her her whole life was going to change, she said, may it be to me as you have said over and over and over and over. Uh, the people of God, uh, the people that God has used have obeyed without knowing how everything was going to play out. They knew that God, God uh, had a plan. They knew him enough. They were close to him. They, they knew that he was in charge, that he saw the big picture, that he knew best, and they trusted him to use them in just the right way, in just the right time, to bring about his plans in the world. So if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Be available Be willing. Say yes now to whatever God wants from you. Tell God, no matter what you ask me, I will say yes. Settle it now. Uh, Be willing and available now. And then when you sense God's clear instruction in the days ahead, it's an automatic yes because you've already settled that. And you're on track and on board. And God, I'm on the adventure no matter where it takes me, even if it's the desert road. Being willing is a huge, important thing. It's not the only thing. Philip also had to be ready. If the United States men's soccer team called me tomorrow morning and asked me to suit up and play for them on Tuesday, I would be willing. I would not be ready. If they called me and asked me to come play with them next summer, I would not be ready. Um, it, it, it's been a long time since I've played a full soccer game. And even if I'm at the top of my game, I'm not U.S. Uh, team uh, ready. Uh, I can be willing all that I want, but that doesn't mean that I'm ready. First Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Are you prepared? Are you ready to speak up for God? God, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. That means that there's some background stuff that needs to take place in your life so that you are ready to speak up. Uh, what are you doing to be prepared to, to, to give an answer for the hope that you have? Do you have a growing up-to-date relationship with God? Do you know how to explain that to someone in a compelling way? We're going to talk in the, in the next couple of weeks about how all that can, can play together and, and develop some of those skills. But uh, some people, when they, when they are uh, asked for a testimony uh, of what God has done in their lives, they go back... 30 years and say, well, God did this for me. 
That's great. I, I love that he did that for you 30 years ago. What did he do for you last Wednesday? Uh, where, where is that growing intimate personal relationship with God? What is, what is going on in your life with him? That's the, the major part of being ready to speak up for God is to stay, is in staying close to God. I don't know if you noticed, but, but Philip, when he, uh, when he encountered the chariot and figured out what the, what was going on, he was ready. He could step right into that conversation. He knew the Bible. He knew the scripture. He knew what Isaiah was talking about as he was pointing toward Jesus. And he knew from his relationship with Jesus and all of the, the, the dusty roads and the, the, the times that he'd spent with Jesus day in and day out, he knew exactly how to proceed in that, that conversation in order to help that eunuch discover the truth of Christ. We've got to spend time personally with God. We've got to spend time personally in his word. We've got to spend time praying, thinking about, worshiping. We've got to spend time with the, the people of the church and allowing them to speak into our lives and to develop and, and, and mature and, and help us to, to, to grow us. Being ready means having that uh, personal, up-to-date relationship with God. And some people might say, well, that's great, but I... I mean, I kind of grew up in the church. I mean, this is, this is me. I've, I have had these thoughts before. I don't really have this great old testimony. I mean, of this big old whatever that happened in my life. I mean, and to that, I guess we, we need to recognize that God wants to use you just how you are. You need to be yourself today, this week. In this generation, he wants to use exactly who you are to represent him to the people around you. You will click with people that I won't ever even meet or get close to. You have a unique set of relationships and and influence in those relationships that no one else does. One reason that God made you just the way you are and has brought you through what he has brought you through and the things that you have faced is because uh, he wants to reach people through you and no one else can do that as good as you. So be who God has made you to be. He will use you just the way you are. Be willing and be ready to speak up. Be ready and be yourself. I think one other aspect of being ready... That, that, that we need to learn from Philip's example is the importance of being, being close and listening. Is, this book isn't, Bill Hybel's book is not called Yell Across the Room. Send a text across the room. Uh, write a letter. All those things can, can happen, but, but, but the, the, the importance of, of him saying walk across the room is that this is a personal thing where we're getting close to people. After Philip encountered the chariot, I, I don't know if you saw it in there, it's uh, I, my favorite part of the whole story, uh, God's first instruction was not for Philip to stop the procession and to start preaching. Whoa, 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 hey, God called me here. Uh, calm that horse down, please. I've got, I've got a word. And uh, we need to, okay, uh, now let's open your Bibles, please. There was none of that. God simply told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The only instruction, first he said, go walk on the road, and then he said, go by that chariot and, and hang out over there. Stay near. It's, it's, it's the importance of proximity, staying close. I, I learned the importance of that um, from my, my former life in youth ministry. If you've heard me tell this story, uh, sit back again, that's great. I, I, anyway, I just need to 
need to share again. It's my favorite story of the importance of, of staying close while sharing your faith. And it comes from the 1999 Nazarene Youth Congress in Phoenix, Arizona. So a couple years ago, 9,000 teens and, uh, and adult chaperones are gathered in the arena in downtown Phoenix. We've been melting all week with hot temperatures in the middle of July. But it had been a great event, inspired. We had speakers, uh, nationally known, internationally known speakers coming and sharing. And, and uh, teens had been, uh, had been uh, encountered by the grace and, the, and the, the gospel, the grace of God and the gospel. And they'd been committing their lives to God. And, and great musicians, the latest and greatest bands were all there. And it was, a, it was a great, great event. And then one night toward the end of the week... Uh, we, we came in, and, and as we came in, so you got the arena just to get the, the thing. You've got the stage on one end of the arena, and then you've got the upper balcony, and then you've got the balcony, and then you've got the floor. And so everyone, all the, all the teams that came in on the upper balcony uh, at that night, at the beginning, they were all handed a glow stick. The little glow sticks, they got the, the little, you know, you can put a... Put them on a string. They've got the little deal that sticks up there, and you can. Um, but uh, but uh, everybody got. They said, just hang on to it. Don't light them yet. Don't do the little thing yet. Just just hang on to them. You'll know during the service when you need it. So everybody's everybody's there, and we're ready, and we're we're waiting. So at one point during the service, they uh, they they they're talking about that night. They're talking about sharing your faith. You've learned all this stuff here. Uh, you're you've, you're you're growing in your faith, but now we need to share this. We need to go out from here. We need to share this with your with our friends. We need to share. It's talking about evangelism. Talking about uh, missions. Talking about uh, spreading the light of the gospel to the world around us. And in order to demonstrate that, uh, they uh, they uh, they cut the lights. And on cue, they instructed everyone with a glow stick to make them glow. So, you know, you do the little crack thing and you, you shake it up a little bit and, uh, and, and then it starts glowing. And so in a few seconds, hundreds, thousands of little lights begin to appear all around the top of the... It's very dramatic and very cool. And you see these glow sticks kind of bouncing around in people's hands. We're told then that the light, each one of these glow sticks represents the light of the gospel. And that everyone in the upper level are, are followers of Jesus and they have the light of the gospel. But the lower level is all dark. And so the man on the, man on the stage, I didn't, don't have it memorized, but uh, in my memory it went something like this. Uh, he said, all of these folks down below don't know Jesus yet. They are in the dark. They represent your friends and your relatives and, and the people in your school, the people in your, your city or your state, the people around the world who don't yet have a relationship with God. They don't have the light yet. Brief pause. They need the light. Another brief pause. How can we get the light to the people who are in the darkness? And as that wafted across the room, another pregnant pause, and then you saw it. One light. And before it landed, a few more. And pretty soon, it was a meteor shower of the gospel descending upon the, uh, the pagan hordes down below, right? Someone wisely turned the lights back on. There was blood. Those things are not smooth. Uh, they have little sharp edges, and coming from, you know, the top balcony down to the floor, you had, I, I still have the picture of someone holding her, 
holding her uh, forehead, and there's blood coming out between her fingers, and, and uh, you people had been hit in various places and all these kinds of things. The light came up, and through all of that, we heard the guy on stage trying to, trying to bring it all back. Don't throw the glow sticks! Don't throw the glow sticks! Don't throw the glow sticks! And I learned a valuable lesson that day. Actually, I learned several lessons that day, but one specifically that applies to us today. Evangelism is best done up close. Bill Hybels writes, even the most Christ-like Christians on the planet will be totally ineffective unless they get near people who are living far from God. That's exactly what God told Philip to do. He said, go to that chariot and stay near it. And by just being in proximity to uh, to what was going on in that chariot, uh, Philip could could tell exactly what this guy was was uh, was going through, where he was in his faith, what would take him to the next step, uh, how to how to approach things. He stayed close and he listened before he ever said a word. And I think that's what walking across the room is really all about: be ready and willing to go and stay close. I'm, I'm willing, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to say yes whenever you say yes. If you say jump, I'll say how high. If you say uh, shut up, I'll shut up. If you say preach from the rooftops, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm willing. I'm also going to do, do my, my homework and, and make sure I'm spending time with you every day so that I'm ready. I, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to people that, that are, that, that, that know you and I'm going to, I'm going to uh, dive into your word and I'm going to read it every day and I'm going to uh, spend time in, in groups and, and Bible studies and, and, and church and I'm going to learn and grow and I'm going to be ready. So I'm willing and I'll do whatever you want me to do and, and I'm ready. And then the very next step is not go out and preach your head off. Go and stay close to somebody and sense the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Do you need to help them with this? you need to speak into that? Do you need to back off a little bit? Where are they struggling? Be ready and willing to go and stay close. Who is it that God might be prompting you to stay near to so that you can sense where the Spirit is moving? God wants to use you to represent him to the people around you. We need to be willing, we need to be ready, and we need to stay close.